Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in. DeerCast, episode 73. Mr. Brandon Jennings is... I wish you are in the studio, but for now, you're in your house. Your house looks cooler than our studio. <laughs> I'd like to come join you at the studio sometime, though. It'd be a lot of fun. We're doing that. We have to. Yeah. So what's up, man? This is your first time on the podcast, and then you show up, and you got a trophy room of trophy rooms right there, man. <laughs> so I was telling you, there's benefits of the bachelor pad. You can do what you want in your living room, so it just got... <laughs> deer heads and elk and mule deer everywhere i love it. well you got high enough ceilings to keep adding so it's looking good yeah them ceilings were 30 foot tall i had to bring them down to 17 foot i was losing so much energy all the way up in them and plus you you know how it is you get the higher you get them deer up in the air the smaller they look so i try to keep them i know as low as, as i can that's why, like when you see guys with big trophy rooms like that i love seeing all the deer up in it but you just see the bottom of main beams most of the time you know yeah. So yeah, and when you're not killing them true giants like Mark is, you got to keep them lower to the ground so they look bigger. <laughs> right? Yeah, have them all on pedestals or all looking straight down. Exactly. Try and make them look a little better. But so hey, thanks for doing this, man, and uh, I appreciate you. I know we've met in person a couple times and got to hang out, and you're good people. Just of course, like everybody on the jury team is. So it's been awesome getting to know you. So I'm glad we're finally able to get a podcast in. Exactly, man. I'm excited to do it. How long have you been on, on the jury team? Uh, I think this will be my 12th year. It's a long haul. Yeah. How'd that all get fired up? Like, how did you come to be a part? <laughs> crazy story, man. I was on an airplane going to Jamaica, and there was a guy sitting across the aisle from me watching hunting videos. So, you know, my redneck ass, I'm leaning back. Like, You're looking... <laughs> Yeah, and he thought, you know, at the end of the fight, he's like, man, I wasn't sure if you are going to beat me up for watching hunting videos or if you're really interested. Uh -huh. And I was like, nah, man, I'm into it. And he was going to the same resort as me. Well, it turned out to be Brick Stewart, who has been on the team about 15 years. Yeah. Hung out all weekend, planned to hunt, started hunting together. And then Brick's dad retired, and Brick brought me on with him. And, you know. That's awesome. That way ever since. Yeah, I actually helped film with Mark and Terry and helped. Mark on his farm for a couple of years right there before I came on. So I've been around the the team about 15 years. Wow. That's a cool, that's a cool lead into that. Just makes you know, like yeah. hunters are typically good people. And I, you know what I mean? You never know, like meeting one guy, like what that can lead into, you know, or the relationships that can build from that. I've thought about that a million times, you know, little as you know, when I'm sitting there booking that trip on, you know, on my computer at home, what it would turn into the network I'd find myself involved in. And yeah. Yeah, here I am today on your show doing this. Like, yeah, you made it. <laughs> yeah, nobody would know who the hell I was if it wasn't for that trip to Jamaica. You know, they wouldn't want to hear me on your podcast. <laughs> you might hold the. You might take the crown for the coolest story to like that got on the jury. Like that's pretty damn unique. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, like that. That right there is just like good people all around. That's like what that yeah. proves. 
And that's what it was. You know, it's like Brick introduced me to Mark and them, and I started hanging out with Mark. Now me and Mark are best of friends. Yeah. Hang out all the time. Uh, it's just weird <laughs> the path life takes you on. It is cool. And you're you're a land agent also. How long have you been doing that? Uh, all in all, about six years. But I've been – I just switched companies. Now I'm with National Land Realty, and I'm loving it. And got a huge auction tomorrow. They're kind of yeah. prepping for it. And so, so it's really cool. That's a, You know, people – don't realize the grind that I went on before I got here. You know, I spent 22 years in a factory working 50 hours a week, sweating my ass off and finally just kind of nutted up and bet on myself, you know, and went out and did something. It's paid off huge for me. What'd you do before then? What, like what factory work? I worked at Ford motor company in Kansas city. No kidding. Kansas city. That's awesome, man. (laughs) See, I like, I like, I don't like to get too much into that all the time because I always, you know, for a while that's all we talked about what guys did, but I think it's important to always go back and bring it up because I think people see what you're doing on jury and selling land and doing this and and they just think that it's always been that way and oh, you know what I mean? Trust me, I get the, that must be nice, it must be nice. I, that's my three word, least favorite words in the Same world. here, the, same here. You know, it must be nice. They, you know, they're, they look at what I'm at now and they don't look back at the 20 years of grind and you know they weren't telling me it must be nice when i was sweating my ass off in 110 degree factory for 50 hours a week you know what i mean right like, right you know well, and then coming home and i'm still grinding 20 25 hours on side stuff trying to get out of there you know so build yeah. myself up through the blue collar you know to to get out of there to do what i want to do with my life but for sure yeah you know, i think guys too- just want to sit at home on their couch and complain eat their oreos and wonder why they never made it anywhere you know like yeah Go out and hustle and do the work. Don't tell somebody, don't don't hate on somebody else for getting there. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I think a lot of guys, you know, of course, a lot of people work hard and bust their tail to do it. Like, you know, you see guys with nice trucks and boats and side-by-sides, and those are the same dudes. They're working their butts off for that stuff. But you still exactly. have people that work with them that must be nice, must be nice. So it's like, yeah. well, they pri- <laughs> they made that their priority to do that. And the exact same thing you're doing. I had people yep. at the Ford plant always tell me it must be nice to have what I have. Like, we do the same job. You get the same paycheck I get every Friday, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, I think a lot of it, you know, you have to have a passion outside of work. You know, if work's your passion, that's fine. But you almost have to make your passion kind of a line of work. Too, yeah. it, like if you if you have goals, I think it's important. But it, and we're starting to get that a little bit too. You know, working class bow hunter. It's, we're younger guys. You know what I mean? Like really hard work. I haven't worked that long. Like I didn't do twenty years in a factory, but <laughs> I busted my tail and then had the side hustle that I busted tail on to try and make like my passion a a job. Exactly, and I'm sure everybody must be nice to have a working class bow hunter podcast. I mean, it sure didn't start off being like this. You know, you no. busted your ass to get from right. It's just funny how quickly people forget, man. I'm sure like you experience that a ton. Yeah, you know, and it's all about. I mean, it's all goal driven. I mean, I hate that we're going down this rabbit hole into life stuff. We're talking about dude. Here, it's but... it's part of it though, you know. <laughs> yeah, but to me, it was all goal driven. I wanted to own land, and I wanted to own lots of land. So I realized. 50 hours a week in a factory, I wasn't going to end up being the landowner and having the land that I wanted to have and pass down to my kids. So Mm -hmm. I was outside hustling, you know, and I think that was keeping that mentality that that's what I wanted. Just kept driving me to keep going and going and going, you know? Yeah. How is, is, is land agent the term? I always just fall on that term land agent. Is there something that I prefer that over, you know, a lot of people want to call us realtors, but if you're not born to, if you don't belong to an MLS, you're not actually a realtor. We're just real estate agents, but I like being a land agent is what I prefer. Okay, I don't I, like dealing with houses. There's too much, way too much that goes on with houses. And and yeah, and you want to be like places where you can kill deer, and you're more knowledgeable on that part of things. Exactly. It's easier to probably sell for you is like where you can kill deer. But yeah. how much has that helped? You know your, I, this I don't know how to word this hunting career. You know what I mean? Like your career involvement in hunting and being a land agent is it boosted it at all? all the- Oh yeah, for sure. The you know just the social media following that I've gained from being Jury Outdoors to this point has obviously helped my land career. You know, so yeah. there's a lot of eyeballs on my stuff when I put it on social media and stuff. So that's a that's a huge boost of things, and plus just the networks that I've got to deal with over the years. You know, I get to be around Mark and Terry and the Tom Wares of the world, these high end managers. You know, and I just soak in all the knowledge off of these guys and watch how they're doing things and apply it to my farms. And then when people ask questions, oh, I've seen that on Mark's farm. Or I've seen that here, you know. Yeah. It, I mean, it all plays together very well. Yeah, I, would imagine- and, you know, I grew up in a farming community, too. So, you know, I knew all about the 
till the land. And so it's like my whole life led me to here, but I didn't know it was going to lead me to here. It was just one of them branches yeah. in the road that took off and worked out. No, I, I get that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I always thought it'd be fun to do that, like trying to get licensed and do it all. But I just, I look at, I see these, not that I'm like intimidated by it, but certain areas like where I'm at, I don't know if there's a need for another land agent. You know what I mean? It's just like, there's already these established experts that do it that I'm like, I'm good on it. I think, you know, it's a very competitive market for sure. But you know, there's always room for competition. Like that's true. I've busted in, you know, and a lot of those guys that you call the experts that are doing it, they've been doing it for a lot of years and it's just name recognition and brand recognition over those years. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you just got to build it up yourself, you know, ramp it up be present, be there all the time, be in front of people. Like, yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow starting career. That's for sure. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine like our, our local guy. Hustle. Yeah. Side <laughs> <to> hustle. That's <laughs> <laughs> like our local guy here, Chase Burns, man. He's everywhere. And he's an awesome guy too. I bought my farm through him, you know, but it's like locally you just go to where he's at and look what he's got, you know, here in our area. So um, yeah. it's cool to be that guy. I'm sure, you know, for that. Oh yeah. Spot. I'm sure it is too. You know, I'm sure you are that guy where you're at. (laughs) In the Midwest, it's Jeff Probst and Todd Bigby. Like, they're the two kingpins around here for sure. And, you know, they've been at it a long time, and they're the best at what they do. Like, I like doing deals with them because I learn something from those guys every time I do them. You know, they're with a different company, but it doesn't matter. You know, you're still seeing how they interact and how they do and picking their brains. And they're the two best at what they do. So just try and soak it in. Right. For sure. No, I just always thought that was cool. And I think it would always be a cool, like, not that I ever would want to do that full time, but so I think about it a lot, like how fun that would just be to do, you know, but it is. I mean, I love my life now, you know, I went from 50 hours a week draining every second of the drive down there and working for 10 hours in that heat and driving home. And now I wake up and I decide my day. Yeah. You know, it's easy. I'm sure you notice too. Like it's easy to fall into a lull too, where you don't have to be somewhere and do something like you have to physically force yourself to get up and maintain a schedule throughout the day when you're, you do. And it's weird because every day is different. So, but it's like, I I, I always say this, my biggest motivator is anxiety. (laughs) Like (laughs) my anxiety keeps me moving. And it's like, see this. I have a get shit done list. <laughs> That's awesome. That motivates me. Like, and it's got everything on that I got to do. And when that list is full, I'm stressed as can be. Uh-huh. So but I you're moving you're faster. Exactly. You're moving faster when that list is full, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I need to get that. I want to mark stuff off. Like, it's a, such a great feeling to mark stuff off your list. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm a whiteboard guy, so I have this little whiteboard. And we're expanding our studio, and I'm eventually I want a big, giant, like, you ever seen that that screenshot from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie's, like, got the strings and everything's written on the thing where he's, like, doing this? Oh. Like, I want that. And, but I have a whiteboard that I cross stuff off and checklist episodes, and I have a hit list on people I, I'm working on getting on and stuff like that. So That's awesome. It's somebody that's really well organized and planned out will look at this and be like, what are you doing, dude? You need yeah. to do it this way, but. That's, I'm not that guy either. I got little sheets of paper all over the place with <laughs> names and phone numbers on them and do this. And yep. yeah. Hey, it's how you get it done, right? It's like, we're going yeah. after it. Let's, all right, let's talk deer a little bit. So right. I, I watch, I watched your mule deer hunt. I don't know how many times, maybe six times. And <laughs> it's one of those hunts. I've killed a mule deer with a bow, but this hunt that you were on is one style of mule deer hunting that I want to experience in a bad, bad way. And I know you said that mule deer was like the top of your bucket list. Why? Yeah. Why, why that mule deer? Or was it the, the type of mule deer hunt or what was it? It was that because that was the top of my mule, of my bucket list for a long time was that elk right there. And yeah. I finally got that done. So then a big mule deer was next up, you know. So when, when Mark uh, offered me that opportunity to go up there, I couldn't pass it up. Yeah, and spot and stock with Corey Jarvis. How many times have we seen Mark and them go up there and hunt? And I've just... I couldn't believe I was about to be on a plane to Alberta, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's like the, what surprised me about that area you guys were hunting is like how pretty it is. It's like flat terrain, but then there's also like scenery way off. Yeah. It's a, you look every direction, it's a different postcard. It's a, it's a very diverse <laughs> area, you know? And yeah, they have several different units that you can hunt in too. And each one's different from the other. And you're, you're only driving 30 minutes. So it's, yeah, it's a really crazy diverse area. It's, yeah. I've done like a high country mule deer hunt, which is, was a bucket list hunt for me, but you know, like mule deer are amazing, but I like that, like 
you can see them in the grass, like that type of terrain, I think would be so fun and challenging to hunt in. Um, like, did you expect it to be what it was or did it surprise you? Uh, it surprised me the way that hunt went down, honestly, because, you know, we're sitting there looking at 15 to 20 bucks out on that little bottom. And the one really big one that we've seen the night before that I saw, that's a deer I want, you know, he splits off from the whole herd and goes and beds in the most perfect spot that he could bed in for us, you know? <laughs> right. Right. And Corey called it. He's like, you know, he said, you know, he's better than tall grass. The wind's howling and he bedded away from the deer. He's like, he's like three strikes. He's out. He's like, we got this deer. Like Corey knew it before we ever slipped in on him. Like he yeah. was just in a perfect, perfect spot. You know, we took that long. Corey is amazing too. You know, you get within 150 yards of him. You're taking your shoes off. You're stepping on cactuses and it's, <laughs> It's brutal, but get in close, and he had his flip over, butt scooting in, mm-hmm. and got my bow on my lap, and we get to 40 yards and set there, and the wind is howling, and then about an hour in, Corey told me to go ahead and snag another 10 yards. Okay, I want a, a little tidbit for the listeners. About an hour in, so it's like, I think sometimes, and you guys talked about this on the episode, I think sometimes people think, there he is, let's sneak up on him 15 minutes, and then you shoot him. I don't think people realize how much effort and work it takes to be on a spot in stock like this. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, a lot. Like it was, it was an hour to get into to position at 40 yards. And then we sat on him for an hour there. And then Corey had me steal 10 more yards and we sat on him for another two and a half hours there before he got up. <laughs> yeah. My knees and back are killing me. You know, like I said, 20 years in factory, my joints are horrible. Yeah. I'm around trying to, you know, just stay loose and everything. Corey's like, gotta stop it. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, you know. <laughs> yelling at you, your legs are asleep and Yeah. But Corey's a man, you know, he had him ranged, had it ready, had told me to get an extra arrow out of my quiver just in case, and he held it and he was right there beside me. And he told me that, you know, it's a few inches for every ten yards with that kind of wind speed. Mm-hmm. So he wanted me to aim outside of the deer. And you could tell on that first shot I missed. I thought I was and, trying to rewatch it, and I I couldn't tell if you had hit yeah, it or not. I cut hair, and it's pretty cool. You can actually see the cut hair on the mount on the other side. Oh, cool! But I had aimed, you know, outside of the deer, expecting the wind to push the arrow in. But what we didn't factor in was there was a little pond dam right there, and he was down below it. Mm. So the arrow didn't move a bit; it, it flew true. Oh, but damn. that deer didn't have a clue what had happened. Yeah. So he bounced out there and stopped. Corey banged the yardage, and then we just stroked him. <laughs> that's when the celebration started. Dude, that's awesome. I love, like, that type of hunt is just picture perfect, and the footage of that hunt is incredible. So, yeah, Wade did a killer job on it. So you were you were 30 yards when you shot your first arrow? Yeah, 32 yards, I think, whenever he shot. So did he, and I might have missed this detail watching it, did he stand up naturally, or did you guys do something yeah. to get him to stand? No, that's why we sat on him for three and a half hours in total or whatever it all was. Yeah. It's because Corey don't like to stand him up. He wants him looking the other way, not having a care in the world, which works out perfect. And did he have and an idea is, like before that deer stand, like did, was the buck getting fidgety? Was he like, all right, man, he's going to stand up. Yeah. You know, I've, we nestled up and got in position several times. We'd start to throw his antlers around like he was going to get up and then he would go back down. But <sighs> you know, Corey told us they all stand up around one o'clock. So he would just had to settle in and wait. And we, I think we shot that deer at like 103 or something. Like he knew it to a freaking. That's insane, man. Yeah. He he knows his stuff. He's the best there is. So how far was the second shot then where you just stroked him? I think that shot ended up being just under 40 yards. Money. And Yeah. And perfectly broadside then. You know, he was quartering way hard on that first shot. But the second yeah. shot, just stroked him. He didn't run 150 yards and piled up. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was exciting. Then we FaceTime Mark. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> to celebrate it with him, which was nice. But. That buck's frame looks so insane. I mean, and yeah. we can we can see the mount in the back over your yeah, shoulder right. there. Yeah, it, he's. It's still just it blows all my whitetails away just looking at it. You know, just that huge, yeah, huge frame that he has. Was, Dude, that's so I awesome. I told them guys I thought that deer was going to go over 190 whenever we saw him. They're like, oh, no, you're big guy, and you're big guy. And then he ended up going like 191 inches or something that next yeah, day. Yeah, even even uh, he didn't, uh, Corey, he didn't think it'd go over 190? Uh-uh. 
No kidding. Normally, no, the mule deer no. guys are dialed like that, you know. But hey, it, he thought it was upper eighties, but he didn't think he'd get to one ninety. But that's awesome, man. There. That's a stud. How did you guys do the velvet? Did you guys use like some like a velvet lock product, or did you do artificial velvet on your mount? I didn't anything we froze it and then my oh. tax service took care of it when i got home perfect yeah, he told me to freeze it and then we packed it in dry ice and, and uh flew it home with us perfect and, mine was yeah. weird so like i shot mine in uh been early september up in wyoming and when i shot mine he fell down a mountain and he was in full velvet <laughs> when i shot him or his velvet to pieces oh man like in the pictures it's all fresh shred on that one side but the velvet's hanging so it kind of looks like he has like a drop time because it's velvets hanging, but it's just a bloody mess. And I pretty much was like, well, we'll get them packed out of here. I'm not worried about the velvet. Well, my taxidermist does. And I know some artificial velvet is like, might not look that great. He did a really good job and you can't even tell that it's fake, but I got artificial velvet on it and it looks amazing. So that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Mine had broke the tip off whenever on his death run, whenever he died, he broke the tip off. So in all the pictures and everything, it was hanging and bloody tying underneath. And my yeah. tax service actually recreated that on mine. It looks really cool. Oh, no kidding. So like on the yeah. mount, it's peeled off like that. Yeah, it's still peeled off in that one little tip showing like he was just getting ready to start peeling velvet. So it's awesome. That's awesome. I, I never like, you know, I had some people like, dude, you should mount them like that with it all peeling off and like bloody like that. But <laughs> in my head. I don't know. Maybe if it would just been like the tip of it like that, I'd have been cool with that, like yeah. that for the mount. But I didn't want this big, like distracting, bloody thing, you know, because it was his yeah. whole side came off. And how many velvet deer are you going to get to shoot in your lifetime anyway? So, I, yeah, I wanted a full velvet as well, but he yeah. did this and it looks awesome. So, let me ask you this those guys out there that are from that area and their muleys, do, did they ever say if they preferred velvet or, or hardhorn? No, they never said, you know, I know they like hunting them early like that, but I mean, when it gets easy, they love the rifle hunters when they come in. Right. Because <laughs> it's get open. the rifle hunters in within, <laughs> you know, just within a few hundred yards of them. That's easy. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know how many blown stalks that Wade and I had trying to get Wade's, you know, it was amazing. You know, mine first stalk in opening day, we smashed a giant and then we hunted seven more days for Wade's deer. I mean, stalk after stalk after stalk, hours and hours. You jinxed him. Yeah, and then we go back, and we still didn't. went back for another seven or eight days, and we still didn't kill the next to last day on that hunt. So That's what people don't get, man, that it's, you know, you see a hunt like yours first day. I mean, you put your work in for it, but sometimes you just get lucky and it works out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, when you show it on TV and two, you kill two of them in 30 minutes on TV, they're like, well, that was easy. It must be nice, you know, whatever. But they, yeah. they don't get the hours we spend on our knees crawling up or going up mountains. You know, that's a pretty high elevation out there in some of their others. Me and Wade both in pretty decent shape, and we were both just huffing and puffing. We, you know, we came out and go another 100 yards, and we'd stop, and the guides looking back at us like, come on. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I always do the, uh, you know, you're breathing heavy, but you're not trying to show it until you look around and see if anybody else is breathing heavy, and you're like, all right, I am tired. <laughs> it's kind of funny. The elevation, man, it'll kick your butt. It'll kick your butt yeah. bad. Yeah, but it was a whole different animal out there. The reason why I asked about that velvet or hardhorn is a bunch of my mule deer buddies that live in mule deer country, they hate velvet. Well, I don't, I don't want to say they hate it, but they, like, when I shot mine, my buddy's like, good thing it got stripped off because I was going to strip it off anyway. That's like joking with me. Right. They just like hardhorn better. And I'm like, I don't get that, man. Like, but you know, we're from the Midwest. We don't get to see the, you know, very rarely get opportunity of velvet deer around here. So I know that's what I said. I'm like, you guys can kill them in velvet out here all the time. Like, you maybe yeah. if I grew up on that, I might have a different opinion. But, um, and I, I get the allure of the hardhorn too, you know. But man, I want a couple big velvet muleys, man. They're just pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're pretty too. And I don't know if it's true of mule deer, but I noticed around here, when our deer strip their velvet, they get a heck of a lot smarter all of a sudden. It seems like it happens overnight, you know? <laughs> I, I would think, but I don't know. There's that great debate, right, of, like, that whitetails are smarter than muleys. It's like you always hear that debate, and I don't know. I don't know if I agree because I don't have an, as much experience with mule deer. But I would, for, for my sake, whitetails are smarter than mule deer. <laughs> I mean, I would tend to agree, too, but you think about if you were to strip down all the cover, what would a whitetail do? You know, put them on that same wide open plain. Yeah. 
They have limited they're options. Gonna, where are they going to hide? Where are they going to go? You know, it's. I think that Mule Deer just adapted to their surroundings. That's the best they can do. You know, they they bet up where they got wind coming over them, and they can see down in front of them. So they're right. Cover their back. You know, they don't have the cover. You yeah. put the trees and everything that the, our deer lay in. Like they just don't have it out there. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like if you if mule deer lived in Missouri, Iowa, Illinois, like how they would be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or how they would adapt to like the pressure and subdivisions and stuff like that. But you know, <laughs> I just, it would be awesome. Can you imagine like how big the bodies on like a, a an Illinois mule deer would be? Yeah. <laughs> it would be awesome. But I just hunted in Mexico and we were, there's coos deer, which is be their white tail, you know, and then there's yep. Sonora mule deer. And down there, I thought it was interesting because like in Wyoming, all the mule deer are up high, and then what little whitetails there are, they're all in the river bottoms. Well, it's kind of the opposite where I was at in Sonora. All the mule deer are down in, like, the mesquite thick flats, and the coos deer are the ones in the more hilly terrain. And huh. and that surprised me, but I don't yeah, know. They say the further you go south, it, like, their rolls flip-flop. Huh. And I don't Get know. In the desert, desert mule deer, you have a different mentality than the mother. I don't know. I don't get why. I'm sure somebody out there screaming and could explain it to us, but I just thought it, I just thought it was I've never had it, so I don't know. Yeah, thought it was interesting. Um, I want to talk about you getting your kids into hunting because I have a couple kids now, and that topic comes up more and more in our working class boner podcast conversations, like how to get your kids into hunting, what age to get them into hunting, if you think they're going to be into hunting or not. And just kind of all those like future internal debates with being a, a hunting dad. Yeah, well, I've made all the mistakes you can make. Trust me. Like, <laughs> okay, yeah. then up, let me have them. <laughs> Teach yeah. me. What would you recommend? You know, Parker's getting ready to turn twenty-one. I've had him out hunting since he was six, <clears throat> and sometimes you take him too early. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've done that. But I'll tell you what I've learned over the years: if they get bored leave you know like if you're trying to get them into it make it fun make it sure it's fun all the time like if me and parker went fishing and he started to get bored we'd load the boat up and go home you know and and it just kept that passion alive because he's having fun all the time and never turned into that where he was dreading it yeah you know? kind of like can we go now like we've been out here yeah. for two hours and nothing's yeah. happened yeah and i know a lot of guys are anti-video games or whatever but with jacks right now i let him take his ipad all the time out hunting with us and it keeps him entertained while he's in there for them hours that you got to put in to get it done, you know, seven year old tension spans that long. You know what I mean? So if mm-hmm. you take him out there and don't let him do anything and he's just sitting there looking, yeah, yeah, you're going to lose him. So I try to make it fun while he's in there. Box blinds are a huge help. Yeah. Like controlling the temperature. Like the last thing you want to do is sit out there and freeze them out. You know, we put little buddy heaters in there and stay nice and warm and toasty. Yeah. Sometimes it's too warm and toasty early season. You sweat your butt off inside of them too. So yeah. But, you know, you can get away with a lot more moving in there as well because they're not – if you put them in a tree stand at that age, they're squirming all over the place. You know, what are your odds of success going to be? So For sure. So how old is Jax right now? <clears throat> Jax is seven, getting ready to turn eight. Okay. So my yeah. daughter's she'll be four this spring, and I've been thinking about, you know, when do I take her out? And I'm having that – you know what I mean? I'm having that debate. Yeah. Is it too early? I don't want to, like, scare her early and bore her to death. Yeah. So I I, I don't know. I messed my middle kid up. Tried (laughs) to take my middle son early. He don't hunt to this day. Really? How old is he now? Sixteen, getting ready to turn seventeen. He still don't has no interest in. He'll go out and film me. Has Mm -hmm. no interest in hunting, and it was because I tried to force it on him. Like, and oh man, just wasn't interested. And I was still just trying to get take him out and shoot, do this, you know, come hunting with me. Yeah, wanted that. And one day. I forgot to bring his earmuffs when we were shooting and he shot and got his ears rung mm. and it took me forever to talk him into shooting again. And I took him out to shoot the very next time and he was shooting something with a scope on it and it blasted him in the forehead. Oh, scope item. Scope, yeah. And he, I've lost him ever since. Like he has no interest in it at all since. Then, oh so. man. See, that's my fear. You know what I mean? Like I, yep. I, it might sound like I'm joking around about, those concerns but it, they are genuine concerns for me because i want my kids to hunt with me you know i want them to share the same passions i have so i i'm and that, but that might get old to people who listen who don't have kids of our listeners but i think people who do have kids that listen might find value in it you know and 
it, the the common trend is don't force them, but you also want them to like you want to want them to go and experience something cool. Like I know that if I take my daughter out and a turkey comes in, he's drumming and spitting and doing all that stuff at ten yards. Yeah. She's gonna be like, "Whoa!" You know, even whether we shoot it or not, and yeah. that'll have her hooked. I would think, but yeah, I don't know. You know, turkey hunting's a really good way to hook them the first time. You know, an excited bird it's a whole di- whole lot different <laughs> than a food pot full of deer. But right, the other thing, the other thing I do every year is I plant specific food pods for kids, you know, and not just my kids. Uh, the guy I hunt with is on a lease with me, Justin Lurk. Mm-hmm. He's got his kids, and he brings them over. And we make smaller food pods just for the kids, or we'll build some structure into our food pods to tighten the shooting up. Oh, okay. Yeah. kids, you know, so nothing worse than them seeing a target animal that they want, and it's 50, 60 yards away or whatever. So mm-hmm. make them maybe – make them 30 yards wide and make them longer or we'll, we'll shape them weird to where they pinch up in front of the blind to give 20 and 30 yard shots. Yeah. Stuff like that. will that'll be just kids hunting spots that will make sure that the deer are tighter. Oh, that's good advice. Yeah. So like even yeah. like screening and stuff like that to pinch them down. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. I don't, I do have a box blind. I figured like I could maybe get her out early season white tails with her if it's just seeing does like even if I don't yeah. think there's a chance of killing one, like she can just have those ex- like experiences, having a sense of what it's going to be like. Um, yeah, my son, I don't think sure. I'm going to have an issue. He just seems like a little. He's just an animal already, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't think I need to be nearly as concerned with him. Maybe I will. You know, maybe maybe something will come up that I have to work through with him. But yeah, I just in, in my head, I'm always thinking about how to navigate it. I'll tell you, my kids have all always liked being part of the process too. So that's something else that take them out on food pot days and let them do things, riding on the tractor, picking up sticks or rocks or yeah, being a part of it. So they can go in and they have a, I don't know, it's like a self sense of pride when they get there and they're on a food pot. They help plan. Or remember when we did this, dad, yeah. you know, kind of thing. So yeah, stuff like that's so neat to kind of help get them into the process as well. Like any more killed so many deer my age i was just talking about somebody like this yesterday I, was, I enjoy the process more than i enjoy the hunting and killing of it you know anymore like, yeah yeah i like you know this time of year right now is when we're doing the chess you know we're playing chess we're working you know we're trying to kill these deer right now like yep for sure so, you know it's all stuff i've seen in past years or movement the new movement trend that i've seen where i'm like all right i'm gonna move this food plot i'm gonna shape it like this yeah do this to beat this one deer so to me the chess of it you know, figuring out how to beat that one animal, you know, on his turf is what I take out of it now, you know, but I'm always yeah. setting up all my other pots to take other people. I For sure. You know, I, shoot, I take six or seven people a year to kill big deer. You know, I just like to film big deer die, but yeah. I'll pick one or two out that I want to shoot and then just like hone, hone in, in on, on. See, I, th- yeah. I feel too, like with me getting a little older and having more deer under my belt and kind of like patterning them and like have the process of the hunt to the point of the kill um i'm leaning more into exactly what you just said also um another thing real quick for you because i want to get talking about land stuff because i know you're probably gonna get text from me from now on about hey man what would you do here you know (laughs) but uh one of my buddies told me uh give your kid a trail cam and let them go set it up make that their camera so when they get the pictures and stuff So that's something I'm going to try and do with my daughter, you know, maybe this year. She she might not quite get it, you know, but at yeah. least I can kind of be like, all right, let's go put this camera out. Where do you want to put it? And then make I like that. that idea a lot. Yeah. Maybe even put, let him have access to it on his iPad even, you know, where Ooh. he can check the, the pictures. Of, that's a good idea. Like, that Ma- would be. Make their own account on it. That way they have their own app. Yeah. That way it pings yeah, on their iPad. Have you as an add-on for the account where you can look at them too? But no, I like that a lot. So that might be something to help increase interest easier. Yeah, you know they're on their iPad anyway. Yeah, <laughs> why exactly. not? That's a great idea. <laughs> you can spoon, spoon feed them through the iPad on it, I guess. <laughs> but uh, but no, man, I like that you said like the the whole process of it is kind of captured me in a whole new like level of passion like the more i hunt out west I don't, i'm curious if you feel this way too because i just killed my first elk this year two years ago i killed my first mule deer and i love that type of hunting i do but i feel like when i get back home in whitetails i fall deeper in love with whitetails and i think it's because i'm becoming a better hunter having different experiences 
that I love like putting all my like tricks I'm learning in other places and passion into figuring out deer in general. No, it's the same with me, man. I throw everything into it. Like it starts for me right now, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. all year long. We just started dating a new girl last year and she can't believe all the work that goes into deer hunting. (laughs) Has she ever been around it before? No, huh? That's hilarious. Yeah. So, we're yeah, we're like she, borderline psychopaths in a way. Yeah. Oh, she would agree totally with that saying this, that statement for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it starts now. Like, like, I've got a list of notes on every farm. I keep them throughout the year. Like, I want to do this to this farm, you know. And you know, so many people just watch deer. I saw 15 deer tonight. Da, 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 da. I watch how they move through the property of trying to catch any kind of little something yeah. that tipped me off to, you know, so – you know, and your trail cameras are the same way. If you keep noticing the same buck doing the same thing the same time of year, like there's something to it. You know, you need to – so I'm always trying to put the puzzle pieces together as I'm watching them. Mm-hmm. I'm taking notes for this off season. I need to do this, 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 and this. Yeah. You know, and this year I've got a laundry list full of things I want to do with one of my leases, and a lot of it's with the skid steer. I'm going down there and cutting trails mm-hmm. and bringing them out to the food plot, and, like, I got a certain idea how they're moving through the property a little bit better. But I've only had that farm for about three or four years, so I'm still in the figuring out process of how they – move through the farm because i will not go into the timber right only during the rut why why I, I ever penetrate my timber yeah it's it's just not it's i'm the same way know. now that's that's something i've recently started doing in the last three years and my sit to my sit to kill rate ratio has like gone up drastically since yeah. i implemented that in my hunting yeah for sure you know it's anti-productive it just once the deer know you're there, they become that much harder to kill every time they know you're there, mm-hmm. every single time. And a big deer will, you, you know, if he knows you're there once, his daylight activity is going to be cut in half or a third, you know. It's, yeah. Do you do so, you utilize, like, e-bikes or anything like that for your entry exit? I do not, no. I don't have any. Uh, I'm, like, such a strong advocate for e-bikes, man. Like, I just recently I do, I started the using them. I just like yeah. the magic carpet aspect of it, you know, but um, I guess not every stand requires it but yeah it just guess it depends yeah. on your layout but i was just curious no you know and a lot of the stuff we hunt i try to hunt hunt the fields close to the bedding areas and stuff you know we try to have screens or different we use the terrain to walk in to access our box blinds you know try and keep the box blinds blown out over the wide open field yeah and draw the deer in you know no matter where you put a tree stand if you're hunting up next to the timber, you're giving up one wind direction, no matter what. For sure. Like they're going to come from one way. You're giving up something with, you put that box blind out in the middle, you know, and your timber wraps around your food plots right here. You can bolt over the wide open field and get away with a lot of stuff right there. So, yeah. And you can actually maneuver in your, your access in it, you know, and when you go and getting out at night. So we do tons of tricks like that to, to try and help keep them walking daylight. Yeah. Like that's, that's the main thing. I mean, if they're if you let them pick you off one time, seems like especially early season. Like I like to hunt them early season a lot. You know, we usually kill one or two in September. And if they catch any kind of wind of you or see you or they don't feel like something's right, it'll it'll knock them clean out of that pattern. Do you think it's because they're they're still on their early season brain, like they're still thinking yeah. critically, really? Yeah, it's exactly right. They're still on that summer pattern at that point, and they haven't really got bumped out of it yet by a hunter to know that, oh, all right, it's that time of year again or whatever. You know, yeah. there's just still summer pattern coming to the bean field, coming to the food plot, doing the same thing every day, bed to feed, bed to yeah, feed. Yeah, they're not distracted feed. by women yet. They're still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and we always take advantage of a couple of them there. And our second best time of year, we kill them from Thanksgiving till about December the 10th. That window right there, that's, we kill one or two, three big ones every single year during Why, that, why do you think that, that pocket? is so productive coming off the rut they're feeding back they'll get back on green again like it's before they get like heavy on grain we'll Mm -hmm. kill them on our green fields in that time period but i think it's just finally letting down from the rut they get a little more predictable again that's when the cell cams come in handy if i can get them cell canned onto a field we got them Mm -hmm. like they're moving daylight like it seems like they just get back into a little pattern again for a little window of time right there before Full on late season kicks in. I'll be back on the grain fields and stuff. But then, yeah, it's harder when you're a bow hunter. You know, the grain fields are ten, typically bigger in size, so mm-hmm. narrowing them down to a forty yards is a tough stretch. So that little window, if I can get them back on green, it really it's really productive for us. What are you guys planting for greens? Like, um, 
for that time of year, that pocket? Because obviously you're thinking about that that pocket of time. Like, what what are you normally putting in? Radishes and turnips. Okay. And the radishes, a lot of times they get ate up. The deer love them early. Mm-hmm. But the bulbs will come in that time of year because they're getting back on the bulbs. They're not getting on the green tops that time of year. You know, they've already – the frosts have already killed them down. They yeah. get on the bulbs heavy. So they'll get on the radish bulbs. And then turnips – you know, turnips will still have some green on them because turnips don't actually get palatable to a deer until they get it a frost on them. It'll release the sugars. They get a lot more palatable. Yeah. Head in on those. So a lot of times, even when we structure our food plots, I'll have the blind here. And then for like 40 yards around it, I'll have radishes. Kill them all year on the radishes. And then we'll put turnips beyond that because they typically won't eat in the turnips earlier mm. in the season. So they'll walk through the turnips into shooting range in the food plot. Oh, wow. And then later in the year, that's when we'll if we have to move the blind out or whatever we got to do when they start hitting the turnips, we'll do, but right. No, that's awesome. See, I struggle with, oh man, I just see like some of my setups and I know I'm like, I love it. Like I love figuring it out, but like this year I'll have to show you some maps too, when we get together, but I made a, a food plot that I put in this spot and it's all grass, like CRP type setup. Well, I planted like a screen. So I ride my e-bike up through the screen park it and then i have like a tunnel i'd walk to all the way to the back of the blind and then i had my food plot screened in so they felt safe in there they felt comfortable it's probably like a 40 yard radius around and it worked great well they ate everything to the dirt before it got like late season and now and and then they were off at late you know what i mean so i don't know there's i got to figure out how i want to structure it and i'm always trying to think of like how i can use screen to benefit uh one always entry and exit but then like movements and stuff for them to where it's productive for the deer movement, but I'm not boxing myself out of an opportunity because my screen's in the way. I just, mentally, I just go back and forth with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to your point about the food pot being gone, I struggle with that a ton. Like mm-hmm. my, my farms are overrun with those. It's a great problem. And yeah. I, I mean, guess it isn't. I got a farm. I got a lease inside city limits in Kansas city. Where you can't shoot them with a gun, so you can't keep up with the does. They're just oh. So over the last ten years that we've had that lease, the doe numbers just went through the roof. Mm. Well, you can't grow a food plot. <clears throat> you know the amount of social stress on the bucks trying to breed all those does and everything. Like the horn size has actually went down significantly. It's like too many too to many hunt. fish in the pond theory. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, almost stunted their growth, like to your, yeah, to your fishing reference there. But yeah. it's a, not only that, it's almost impossible to kill them down there too, because you know, you're going to see 50, 60, 80 deer a sit. They're going to be all around you move around like ants. So you're going to yeah. get pop, You're going to get busted no matter what. So mm-hmm. it's just made it tougher and tougher. So, but you know, I've got another lease by a state park and we're able to control the doe numbers a little bit with guns there, but still, not enough. Like there were certain food plots I planted four times last year, and they let them get up and eat them down. Let them get up, eat them down. Really? Yeah. I want. What about so, like a temporary fencing type thing? Well, we're gonna have to now. I mean, that's the only thing that's gonna save them. But that's a lot of you know. And we've done it. It's a lot of money, a lot of time, especially in the summertime. You plant a green plot. Think about it. If we're planting them in July and August. You're out there getting heat stroke trying to put one <laughs> fence in. You know. But, yeah. Right. That's the thing. I think it was like it one more day of another thing on the list that i gotta do honey i gotta go put in fence now in yeah. my food plot so it's good oh. when season's here it's like okay you do <laughs> trust me she thought i was an idiot when i had to put up 13 electric fences this year yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but but they won't grow without it you know so well that too and i know there's going to be some people that hear that and they go you're putting up fence for like almost like another must be nice type attitude but right the money and time and labor and away from your family that you already have put in for your food plots yes it's like you got to protect that too i don't know it's it's just well, fun man it, the whole thing is fun it's a pain sometimes but it's fun it is but you think about all that time and money and investment we're doing all of that for a three-minute encounter here <laughs> And a three-minute encounter 10 days from that, and a two-minute encounter 20 days later than that. Like We're talking four or five encounters a year of a few minutes, and we're putting in hundreds of hours and thousands upon thousands of dollars yeah. for those little moments. So that's my, that's always <laughs> been my argument for a box blind. Like, the box blind is cheap to me when you consider 
if I was in a tree stand and that deer got blown out, you know, I waited all year for that one deer, for that one little bitty encounter. Yeah. And, you know, he gets, you know, he runs off and I never see him again because of that. But yeah, so the box might just help, you know, up your success level, you know, for sure. not going to get any more opportunities out of the box blind than what you would have got, but you could be able to capitalize on the opportunities that you get. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I feel that I have one box blind. I'm going to, I'm going to try and get another one this year. And it was my first time really ever being in one. Um, and I struggled a little bit. Like I, I would just, it's in a, a low pressure spot. Like it's easy to get to for me. So I would go there on days where I like didn't want to go to another spot and burn out that area. I'd go there and just sit just to kind of like see how I liked it and all that. And, uh, at first for me, it was really hard for me to like pay attention because I was in that, I just felt kind of like in a capsule. I don't know if you ever <laughs> experienced that, but like I struggled, like when I'm in a stand, I'm, I feel in the game and yeah. I kind of fell out of the game in the box blind for my first few sits. I don't know. And I've just gotten used to it, I guess over the years, like, cause even before that we were hunting out of pop-up blinds on towers. Oh yeah. Is what I told you, about. I don't like hunting in a tree stand on a food plot because I can't control the wind direction in all directions, you know, yeah, at least yeah. in a pop-up blind on a stand, I was able to blow my wind over the wide open field and very, very few deer got into my wind. For sure. So boys, we just kind of graduated from there to here. And, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been hunting with kids for 15, 16 years now. So climbing up in tree stands is not on my list at all. Like for sure. And, and I imagine I'll be, now, but I'm not taking right. jacks up a tree stand, you know, so for sure. And I imagine, you know, once my kids get more into it, I'll probably double the blinds that I have. Um, I see yep. you guys put your blinds on skids. Or yeah. You like make your own skids. Oh. Yep. See, I need yeah, to do that. I always, I always do that because you just never know when something little is going to change. You need to move it 10 <laughs> foot or you may need to move it right. clear across the field, you know, like, for sure. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty quick little add on. Not cheap, you know, six by six isn't exactly the cheapest thing in the world, but yeah, it's it's worthwhile to do it, you know. And then the height is the other thing. I know some guys like their blinds taller, mm -hmm. but I don't like going ten foot if a if I want to be bow hunting out of a blind. Yeah, because out of the horizontal window, it kills your shot angles. Oh yeah, shot angles are too steep. So I like to be five or six foot. I can shoot flat on all those areas. Cause I think at 10 foot and beyond, you really lose that first 10 to 15 yards without having to really yeah. shoot at a weird angle out of that. You have to shoot out of your verticals. And sometimes with a camera and everything else, it's hard to get out in verticals. So see, I, I put mine on 10 foot and it's 10 foot to the bottom. And I, I did, I did the, uh, I just did the four by fours in it and mm -hmm. ran it down, made my own ladder or whatever. And it's in place. I can't move it around. So Maybe I should go out there with a tractor again, lift it up and hack them down and then build my own <laughs> skids. That way, if I want to pull it around, I can. Heck yeah. But what I'm thinking about doing, if I get another one, getting a gravity wagon, like a, a lower gravity wagon and building the floor and putting it on top and just ratchet strapping yeah. it down so then I can yeah. pull it around and yank it everywhere. Yep. Yeah. But the skid is, I think is the better way. I might end up doing that. It is nice. Cause I can even yank them around with my Rangers, uh, if I got the truck there with me that night, there's been times we've seen something that night and I always keep a chain in my truck, you know, and see something that night. So after we get done hunting, <laughs> drive the truck in and trucks don't bother deer. I don't care. No, they it. don't. There's a lot of times on them high populated farms, we'll drive the truck in to knock deer off the place, but and then drop everything off and use that to get in and out. It's just equipment to them, you know? Yeah. Yep. And you know, they're used to highways and everything else, and especially my city lease, there's vehicles. <laughs> You know, yeah, all just the way around. all the They're time. Well, that that but, was my thought about the gravity wagon. You know, just, it looks like farm equipment. I guess. Hopefully, that's if I do that, that's what it is to them. Well, I'll tell you, even even the pop up blinds on towers. What I was amazed at with those, if you put a if you put a pop up blind on the ground, there ain't gonna be a deer walk near that without blowing at it for two weeks. Yeah, you know. But when we were putting them on four, five foot, six foot towers. We could hang a camera on them and have deer walking within feet of them that day. Just something about them being able to see underneath them. Oh, that they they don't even wig out about them at all. Yeah, it's like not a threat. No, and I think it. Hmm. Yeah, think about it honestly. It probably looks like a tree. Honestly, you know the big bushy leafy part at the top, and they can see underneath the bottom of it. It's just not a thing to them. But right, when you got that blind on the ground blocking their entire vision through. Yeah, it's weird. They can't see around black it. Hole that they're trying to figure out what that giant black hole is in the woods. All of a sudden. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of that. 
And I've, I've never tried that either. I, I'm, I'm normally like anti-ground blind just because my attention span gets shorter because I can't see as far. Um, yeah. I just need to get over it. But yeah. and, and I will probably with the box blind, I'll get over those little, you know, getting just used wait, to sitting in it. Just wait till you start hunting with kids all the time. It's all you're going to get the hunt out of. So I know. You'll make do. I know. <laughs> so that's where it's gotten me to this point now where I may hunt tree stands, you know, what? October 25th to like November the 10th, somewhere in there. Yeah. Like, and then it's. Well, I'll be in the same boat, but I, I'm not mad about it. I think it'll, that'll be the fun part of like learning to bring kids and all that. So, but I appreciate that advice, man. And, and we need to get you in studio so we can have a full blown, real long conversation. I, I need to get a I'd bunch of the it, jury guys in and just yep. cut up with the whole WCB crew and get you guys <laughs> in some trouble. <laughs> you ain't getting any jury people in any trouble they couldn't get into themselves i, I, I know it, i know it. yeah probably get us <laughs> in trouble but well dude i appreciate your time and and the fun conversation we're already at the end of the podcast which is crazy how fast time goes but yeah, we just need to we need to get it figured out or get you guys in studio and, and tear it up but i need to get on with terry's crew and get a bunch of them guys up here also so yeah yeah, you love Forrest and them guys. Forrest's a great guy. I know. So. I know. I've chatted with them and stuff, and it's like we've been – we finally got a podcast scheduled, and we've been struggling back and forth, and he's got something going on, or we did. It's just sometimes people are busy, man. It's hard to figure yeah, out. Yeah, well, and this this time of year, it's getting into planting season. You know, all the grain's going, getting ready to go in around here in the Midwest. So I know. But it. it's so wet, we can't get around – can't I get know. in to do anything yet, but – well, it's about to turn up for turkeys, and then uh, then all the work begins. Yeah, from planting season on. So, <laughs> so your right, your well. sh- what what's it called? Your shit to do list or whatever. Yeah, get get shit get done. shit done list. <laughs> I need to order that same notepad for my studio and just have it. Yeah, my whiteboard's embarrassing. I, whenever people come in to record, I always like hide it back here behind my desk. I'm like, I don't want people to see how I like operate on a day to day basis. Hey man, when I told you that I used to work at the Ford plant and then come home and was side hustling all the time. I had whiteboards hung up in my bedroom. Really? Had, yeah. Two calendar whiteboards and then three other whiteboards hung up that I had notes on and just things to do. And it was like, I like it. Hey. It's, it's satisfying. It is satisfying to like erase the done, you know, cross them out yep. and stuff like that. So there's probably a better I way, like but I like crossing them off so I can see that I got it done for a while. Yeah, I know. That's what I have too. All the schedule dates and everything for the show. It's just messy. It's, I don't know. Yeah. My wife would come in and yell at me probably because I'm unorganized looking, but we'll deal with that. But, <laughs> but hey, where can people find you? Yeah, I'm all over Instagram. I don't do Facebook near as much. I, I kind of got sick of all the haters on Facebook a long time ago, and it's gotten a lot better now. Yeah. But Instagram's where I like to be the most. For sure. Jenny's Drury Outdoors, man, and and then uh, anybody looking for any land, always hit me up. Licensed Missouri and Iowa, get that little self plug in there. How Dude, about that? You got to. <laughs> if you want to send me any info for that, I'll put it in the description so they can click on there. And I don't know if you have a spot where they can see your listings and stuff. But I can put yeah, that on yeah. there also. So perfect, man. You just got to give me like two percent of each sale listing that comes from the pod. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's man, it. Cheap. That's it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm cheap over here, man. I'm just trying to help you. You know. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, man. Let's let's get something figured out, get you guys in the studio, and uh, we'll have even more fun. All right, man. Say when. I'll be there. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, watching, listening. Go check them out. Buy some ground so I can get that 2% commission, and uh, we'll call the day. Thanks, guys. <laughs>